Jerome Dias, Associate Minister um, at St Mark's. Um, one of my hopes, or one of my hopes still and aspirations in my family and I moving up to the hills to be a part of this community has been to be um, a gardener, to be somebody who enjoys time in the garden, to be a capital G gardener. So last term uh, we were given worship packs. Um, one of our children's ministers, Holly, had created these worship packs for young families particular, uh, particularly to um, participate in worship together. And in one of those packs there was um, some seeds um, in one of the weeks that we could put into cups um, with cotton wool and um, grow these seeds. Now I can't remember what the lesson was about, but my boys and I enjoyed putting these seeds in the cups. Now I called up Holly to try to find out uh, what these seeds were. Were they peas or snow peas? And, and I think we weren't quite sure. But I want to show you a picture. We planted these um, little seedlings in the ground and I want to show you the potential of what's possible. Take a look at this picture. Isn't that amazing? What a harvest. That's a harvest of snow peas right there that you're looking at. Now, um, well done to whoever the gardener is there because that's not our garden. Oh, sorry if I led you to believe that that was our garden. No, um, uh, I should probably show you a picture of, of the the seedlings that we planted. So these are um, the plants now in our garden. I'm not sure whether they're peas or snow peas. We may never discover that. I'm not, just depends on how well these plants do over the next few weeks. Um, but um, here's me, a gardener. Here's a flourishing garden. These two things may not go together. Here's God. Here's his flourishing kingdom. These two things are a certain reality. Uh, we are in the middle of a series called The Hidden Kingdom. We're looking at parables that Jesus told to explain and reveal the nature of this kingdom. And so in the, in the two parables that we just looked at, I, I want us to see that, that God's kingdom is one that is growing and, and, and everything it touches, it transforms. Uh, I want us to see that, but I also want to explore and look at the hiddenness of this kingdom. Um, but... But one thing that is certain is that this is a flourishing kingdom. And who of us doesn't want more flourishing in our lives? Uh, we would all like to see more of what's good and more of what's of love in our lives. And um, particularly as it speaks about the hiddenness of this kingdom, I, I wanted us to be able to see this kingdom, to hear this kingdom, to have our hearts open to this kingdom because it's only as we see and, and acknowledge and notice God's work and participate in it that we experience this flourishing ourselves. And so I, wanna, I want us to look at how we might be able to see this kingdom a bit better. But first, let me again just reiterate that this is a growing kingdom, a transforming kingdom. And so firstly, we look at the story of uh, the mustard seed. And we see that from a little seed comes this tree that birds perch in. Now, if you're a botanist or a plant specialist, you might want to have some quibbles about whether it really is the smallest seed. And you might also know how big these trees get. And, and so depending on uh, what species of mustard we're talking about, um, some of you might think, uh, isn't it just a bush? And, and then there are other varieties which are trees, but compared to... For those of us that live out in the hills, uh, we see some pretty big trees. Um, the mustard uh, tree may not look very big to us, but to start going down this line of thinking, 
would be to um, miss the point of what Jesus is doing with parables. And so uh, with parables, Jesus is using stories and using analogies and pictures that people understood. Um, the, the, the idea, uh, rabbis actually used that phrase, um, um, as small as a mustard seed. And so that was um, a familiar um, expression that, that would have been used. And so when, when Jesus speaks of a mustard seed, people do think that he's talking about something very small. Um, and, and in terms of uh, a mustard tree, well, in relation to herbs or vegetables, it, it, it's a decent sized tree. <laughs> um, it, well, it's a tree enough for birds to come and perch in. And so don't miss the point of the parable. The parable is a man takes a tiny seed and plants it in his field, and what comes of that is a tree in which birds can perch in. This is a parable about the kingdom of God and its certain growth. And then you've got the parable of the yeast and the dough. And this woman takes some yeast and uh, mixes it in with some flour, and, um, and it, it permeates and it's pervasive, and it transforms all that it touches. Um, and, and so it tells us that the kingdom of God is like that, pervasive. It's, it's, it, it permeates and it transforms everything it touches. And so the kingdom of God is certainly growing and everything it touches is transformed. Um, but I want to now speak about the hiddenness of this kingdom. And so at the last part of our reading in Matthew 13, 34 and 35, it says, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. And so uh, Matthew, the gospel writer, looks at Jesus and he attributes um, this verse from Psalm uh, 78 to Jesus, that Jesus is a fulfillment of this. He's the one speaking in parables, uttering things that were hidden since the creation of the world. And so in Jesus and in his teaching, we see something being revealed about God and his kingdom. And, and, and these things were hidden, but now they're being uttered and shared. And, but, but, but there's this idea of things that are hidden here. And, and this idea of hiddenness is actually there also in the story of the yeast. And so in the Greek, where it says the woman mixed in the yeast, the, the word is actually hid, hid the yeast um, in, in, the, in the flour. And, and, and then that permeated the whole batch. And so this idea of hiddenness, and, um, and I think Andrew may have even spoken about in, in the first sermon that, that particularly to a people whose hearts had become hard, um, if Jesus spoke directly to them, it might have been almost like a reflex action to reject what he's saying. But when he speaks in parables in these hidden ways, it's almost as though uh, you have to stop and go, I might need to stop and consider what he, what's just been said. Uh, I need to go away and think about that, rather than a reflexive rejecting. Because uh, people already had their idea of who God was and what his kingdom would be like. And Jesus was coming with a message that was quite different, that, they, that, that to see God and his kingdom, it was going to be so different from what they had perceived. And so these parables were a way that uh, for those whose hearts were open to the reality of God, they could perceive what God was saying and what Jesus was saying through these parables. Um, but for those whose hearts were hardened, um, it might take some more time, or in the end, it might be that these parables were just simply hidden from them. 
I'm going to say something kindly, as kindly as I can, um, knowing that um, both I'm speaking to um, uh, the audience, maybe believers and unbelievers, I'm, I'm conscious that there are times, having worked with young people, that, that there's often this feeling that, that God is hidden, that, that can't see God. I want to see God, but he's, it's, it's not easy to see him. I'm going to say this as kindly as I can. If, if, if you can't see God and you can't see his kingdom, it's not his fault. Now, um, that might put the burden of responsibility back on you or on me, but I think that's where it lies. There was a famous um, philosopher, mathematician, writer, Nobel Prize winner in literature in the 20th century named Bertrand Russell, uh, quite famous. And um, he was also well known for being an atheist, one who doesn't believe in God. And uh, the story goes that, um, if I'm remembering it correctly, um, that he was in an interview and somebody posed the question, what would you say to God if you saw him? If, if you finally, at the end of your days, met God, what would you say to him? And Bertrand Russell, in his defense, would say to God, um, oh, I didn't have enough information, not enough evidence, so to speak. Um, and the truth wasn't clear about you. Um, when I read Romans chapter 1, and particularly in verse 18, the idea is very different. It's not the lack of information or the lack of evidence or the lack of truth, but the suppression of truth that the scriptures speak of, that we suppress the truth through our wickedness. Now, at the risk of preaching another whole sermon on what that might mean, let me just share the idea that hopefully you can relate to, is that I think if, if we look and search ourselves, we can all um, remember or recognize, I should say, the idea that, of self-deception, that we can deceive ourselves, that something is true, but because we value something or something else matters to us so much um, that, it's, that it's like we can't look at the truth. We would rather believe this than see the truth. And that in some shape, way and form, this is true of all of us. All of us don't see the truth clearly. All of us are blinded in certain ways, and quite often it has to do with there are other things that we have committed ourselves to, so much so that we cannot see something else. And so sometimes we suppress the truth. Um, and so often when we're thinking about this word hidden, um, particularly as adults or people moving into adulthood, we often take that idea in a very negative way. In, in, in the connotation that God is hiding something, keeping something back from us. Um, I'd like us to start thinking about that in a different way. Um, but, but let me first share with you a, a passage from Matthew's um, Gospel that comes before this parable in chapter 13. And I think it relates um, uh, very closely in, in, in particularly trying to understand and unpack that idea of hiddenness. And so in Matthew 11 verses 25 and 26 it says, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. And so the passage begins with, uh, at this time, Jesus said, it, it follows just after Jesus has denounced um, certain towns where he had gone and performed miracles, but they yet did not believe. And, and so he denounced those towns, and then he says, At this time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Um, I, I, I want to look at the idea of hiddenness from a child's perspective. 
that, that these hidden things were revealed to children. Um, when children think of hidden, they don't think of it in that same negative connotation, I think, that sometimes adults might, that somebody's hiding something, keeping something back from me. Uh, sometimes when I think of children and, and the idea of hidden, I think of hidden treasure and an adventure and a discovery. I think of wonder. I think of playing hide-and-seek and the fun you have, the play that's going on in the, in the hiddenness. And that, that children are willing to discover and be amazed and find wonder in things. And I think that picture of hiddenness uh, might be one worth um, reflecting upon and thinking about. That, that God is not hiding in the way that we might think. But I think more and more, if we read the scriptures, we see clearly an invitation to experience the reality of God. I, I remember that impression so strongly um, as a young person, maybe late teens, early 20s, just thinking, God, it's so hard to see you sometimes. And I was thinking particularly in relation to some friends who I, I wanted them to know God. And I was just thinking, God, it's sometimes so hard. I think they want to see you. And, and then this impression, this thought came upon me as though God was speaking. And it, and it was the idea that I am more willing to speak than you are to listen. I'm more willing to speak than you are to listen. I, my grandma was an amazing example of this. She looked around at the world and saw wonder and saw amazement. And, and it's so different to the idea. It's almost like, um, but I won't say it about teenagers, I'd say it about teenagers and adults as well, that, that, that it's almost like when you hear something amazing, it's, it's more cool or, or more... Um, it's, it's, we'd rather give off the impression that I'm not amazed. You hear something amazing and you just have this blank expression. Or you, you see something wonderful and, and the goal is not to look as though you're, you're in wonder and awe. Or you hear some new information but you have this expression as though it's, um, you've heard that before. Um, that, that, that's so different to the idea of wonder. And my grandma had wonder in her eyes um, when she used to look at things. She'd look at them and go, oh, how beautiful. Look at the patterns. Oh, look at the colour. And I'd just be walking past thinking, it's just a flower. But she had it right. She saw wonder in everything. Uh, but, but not just in creation. It was the same with the way that she spoke about God. It was, with, it was, it was relational. It wasn't just an, a religion or a practice. Um, it, it, it was real that she spoke about God with such a sense of awe and wonder and gratitude, such gratitude. And so I think it's, it's not just children that have these eyes of wonder. Or it's not just children who can have these eyes of wonder. But I think we're all invited to be that, that kind of child, that kind of child of God that sees the wonder of God all around us. Now, if you're struggling, if, if you're um, in, a, in a not good place, I want to say that this message is still for you. If you received an invitation to a party, I'm not asking you to go to the party and be at the centre of attention, in the centre of the fun, in the centre of the celebration. If you need to go to the party, if you accept that invitation, just be present. You're just on the fringe of the party. You're, you're by the snack table. 
enjoying some snacks. If, if that's the best you can do is enjoy some snacks on the side and, and enjoy, oh, I discovered uh, ginger and lime beer. Oh, it's beautiful. Um, whatever the simple pleasures are for you, enjoy that. But go to the party and keep looking. Keep hanging around. But, but if you are that person, don't be surprised if, if those who are more on the inside want to keep inviting you to the centre of this. Because at the centre of this kingdom is the person of Jesus. At the centre, the source of this kingdom. Because when Jesus was standing before these people, the fullness of God dwelt in him. The will of God was being outworked in the most beautiful expression. And so I've seen unbelievers touched by the kingdom of God. They might not call it the kingdom of God, but they express it. I see God at work in them and through them. But without Jesus, it's like missing out on the source. And so it's like they can, ex they can experience the wonder of God's kingdom, but they'll never experience the fullness of it because Jesus is the source. And they'll never experience it eternally because it's only in that relationship with Jesus that you experience not only the beauty and the wonder of God's kingdom now, but you experience it forever. And so if you want to experience more of this kingdom, practice being amazed. Go through your day and think about what is amazing. If you slow down, what's amazing? I encourage you to have eyes of wonder, even if it means you're doing it at the end of the day and you stop and you go, okay, where did I miss God? Where was God? Where was he hiding that I missed him? Because if you even practice that, your eyes get trained and your ears get trained and your heart starts to open, that you start to notice him in the present moments as well. Do you know what I love about gardening? Or what I will love about gardening? It's the wonder of watching things grow. Do you know what I love about being a minister? It's the wonder of watching people grow. It's seeing God's presence, his love and his goodness being outworked in them. It's about seeing his kingdom growing and transforming in us and through us. That's what I love about being a minister. May God's presence, his rule, his kingdom pervade your life, that your heart may be captivated by the wonder of God's love, especially in Jesus.